Welcome to Legit Parenting, where imperfect parents build resilient kids and families. A place to learn real solutions based in brain science to fit your unique parenting style. We show you how to tackle today's challenges for children and teens. Remember, when it comes to raising kids, you just have to be this side of good enough. Join us and we will show you how. I'm your host, Craig Nippenberg. I've been a child and family therapist for nearly 40 years. I'm the business owner of one of Colorado's largest uh, private practices, best-selling author, and father of four. In my fathering world, I've been a birth dad, a single parent, a step-parent, an adoptive parent, a parent of exceptional students, and a grandparent of two. By my side is Sydney Moreau, our production manager, and mother of three, ages preschool through 18. Together, we bring you a guilt-free parenting perspective with solutions that actually fit into your real life. Welcome to Legit Parenting. I'm your host, Craig Nippenberg, along with my producer, Sydney Moreau. Uh, Today starts a bit of a new design for the podcast. We realize that I love to look at parenting in the news. It's one of my favorite things. Every morning I read a couple of papers and I'm always collecting the latest stuff for parents. But doing that and having a guest on makes the show rather long. So we're going to switch it up and I'll be having guests three times a month, roughly. And then we'll do one time a month for parenting news. And we might even just break that up into smaller chunks and post those midweek or something. But just to make it a little bit shorter, but to still fulfill my desire to cover things in the news about parenting and add a few comments that hopefully will be helpful to you in your parenting journey. Now, before we hit the news today, so today's going to be the news program. I want to thank Dr. Anna Dotson for being on her last show, talking about the overlap of ADHD and trauma. It was a really thoughtful podcast and important to understand when you're looking at your own child and differentiating is could this be ADHD or has some trauma experiences that could be causing this or underlying anxiety issues. Anxiety issues for kids often look very much like ADHD. So there's some kids, some kids when they're anxious, they're avoidant, they cower sort of thing, avoid but for other kids, when they're anxious in a group setting, in social setting, they tend to get more agitated and hyperactive. So those two things are also important to filter out. And it's one of the reasons we do testing on kids is to get a good sense. Okay. Is this ADHD? Is it trauma? Is it anxiety? So those are important things to consider. On a note, before we start on the news, this was my own news story. I guess you could say, you know, I like to talk about, you just have to be good enough. And I had an experience a couple of days ago when I was driving through town on my right way to go for a bike ride in the mountains, when I saw a gentleman who was not good enough. I was passing a parking lot of an auto parts store. Now, all of you listeners have probably experienced your kids in the car fussing. You know, it was a hot day. It was 90 degrees. I don't know if he had left the kids in the car when he went to the store or not. But you've all been there when the kids are fussing in the car, and there's lots of things you can do, ways to approach that. One one of the best is prevention. Uh, You probably, if you have multiple kids, you probably know which ones sit well together, which ones don't. In the old days, 
instead of us racing out to the car to get in the front seat when you could ride in the front seat uh, as kids my mom had a day for each of us i was the thursday there were five kids so i got the front seat on thursdays on family vacations us three boys got stuffed in the back of the station wagon my two sisters were in the middle my parents were up front it was a great system less boys could have fun in the back and they didn't irritate our sisters who were reading or my parents so prevention is always a good approach but Plenty of approaches you can take that we'd say are good enough. Well, in this situation, this man who probably 275, 200 pounds, huge guy, and he is winging just full punches at his like 12 year old in the back seat. I don't know. And he, the child was, I could see the buckle on him. I don't know what the kid was doing, maybe fussing his sister, who knows? He is swinging full fist. I just, the light turned green, so I moved I, I did get the license plate and called the Child Protection Hotline for Colorado and reported it. And that is a duty for all of us, and especially as a therapist, we have a duty to report. But that is clearly not good enough. Just, oh, it just traumatized me just watching it. Really pathetic. Okay, so let's get to the news. I'm going to start with the positives. And we're going to move downward from there. And, and the last topic is as deep as you can get. And it's just hard to wrap your head around. First one, and this is in my book that's coming out in the fall about strategies, 10 strategies for a resilient family and how to get through things. And the latest research reveals that gratitude really is good for you. The results suggest that performing types of activities like gratitude activities where you write things down or just meditate on it. Provides mental health benefits, reducing symptoms of depression and anxiety, increased self-esteem, and improving satisfaction with daily life. Multiple studies have shown that experiencing gratitude to acquaintances or coworkers, friends, or romantic partners can offer a relationship boost and helps bind us more closely. Well, that's obvious. People love that. People love to be acknowledged and say, hey, I'm really grateful for this. Great activity for couples before you go to bed at night, maybe share a gratitude you have with each other. Now, it's easy to be grateful in good times. So if life is going well, we stop, we count our blessings. That's a good old phrase. Stop counting your blessings. It's pretty easy. When life is hard, it's something we often jettison at that point because we're so focused on the negative. And this would clearly say, in hard times, you still have to be grateful. And it helps you get through the hardest time. I thought back to that first year of COVID when we were all locked down and my wife and daughter and I did a gratitude yard every night uh, and then read them all on New Year's Day. And it was just awesome. So make sure to keep up with gratitude for yourself and for your kids. And the second one is also in my book. It's on the science of happiness. And one of the things, here's what they thought about. Gruber is the researcher, said the science tells us three main things people can do to be happy. One is to do things for other people, whether that's helping with tasks and gifts or expressing appreciation. Gruber said connecting with people and having good relationships is important to overall well-being. She also said happiness can be found in doing things that give a great sense of purpose and meaning to not forget the basic healthy habits like getting enough sleep and exercise. Happiness is less about feeling good and more about finding a purpose in the world. She said, connecting with others and having an outward focus is more important, even if it doesn't always generate positive feelings. 
the science is telling us that accepting all of our feelings, whether they're feelings of sadness, frustration, or even guilt, that allowing ourselves to have a diverse range of emotions is quite healthy as well. So in other words, don't sublimate your emotion. Be in touch with your emotions, but get involved and do something. And I think it was strategy number seven, and it was Sidney's son who was an example of this during COVID, finding a new purpose. And he tuned up wide pipe, and it's working spectacular. A purpose for yourself and your kids, volunteer work, whatever, just finding a purpose. And that's going to bring you happiness. Good for mom, too. <laughs> that's great. Uh, okay, another topic. This is one just to be aware of it. I didn't even know this. Well, I love so much to study the brain and particularly the part of the brain called the amygdala. And the amygdala, the easiest way to think about it, it's the fire alarm for your brain. Now, much of it is, it's wired to all our senses. And we know that sight, seeing terrifying things, really triggers your amygdala. Even if it's just on TV or in a movie, you get your amygdala. And with gaming, your amygdala goes off all the time. Your brain thinks you're under attack. So a lot of it's uh, through visual. But it comes from the other senses as well. And this oracle was about noise, as well as bright lights and loud noises, how they can set off your amygdala. I'll read what it says. Unpleasant noise enters your body through your ears, but it is related to the stress detection center of your brain. This area is called the amygdala. sets off a cascade of reactions in your body. The amygdala is chronically overacted by noise. The reactions produce harmful effects. The endocrine system can overreact, causing too much cortisol, adrenaline, and other chemicals to run through your body. That we know increases rates of heart disease, rising blood pressure, and production of inflammation cells. Not Those are things we don't want your kid to have, and we don't need them either. Now, I thought of this one because you see now in all the sporting events, a lot of times with an audience, you'll see the little children with their headphones on, the noise-canceling headphones. Uh, and that started maybe 15 years ago. And it really does make sense. We know some kids can be more sensitive. So we all have our five senses, and all of us have different reactions to those senses than other people. For a little kid, that system's still learning to integrate. And some can handle it, some can't. Uh, for my son at three months old, we took him to his first Denver Nuggets game, who just won the world championship, by the way. That's, this is a long time ago, 29 years ago, almost. And we were sitting second row center court. A buddy of mine used to own the Nuggets and the mascot. And my son just was in my arms looking up at the lights, the buzzers. He was smiling. Didn't bother him a bit. No crying, no fussing. And then the mascot, Rocky, came out and grabbed him, took him out on the center court and was playing with him. And the crowd was laughing. And he had a great time. Now, other of your kids might just be screaming bloody fits if you did that. So the headphone things. If your kid is more sensitive to noises and like, you know, maybe they don't go to the games or get those noise canceling headphones, probably worth the investment, especially when you're thinking about your kid getting a trigger. Uh, this link series is coming from three different articles, and I would put this under the category of it's about time. And it's the Surgeon General. I, I should have said Vivek Murthy, uh, our sur- U.S. Surgeon General has been getting public publicized and interviewed about social media may harm children and adolescents. Let's be on in May. It does harm children and adolescents. 
There's a new book just out. I just interview and I'm blanking on the name of it right now. I'll get it to you for the show, but it's, it covers all the research, how social media really is harmful to be an adult, not just kids. And the companies have known this for years in their own research, but they keep doing it anyway. Uh, so I'll just read a few clips from some of these. The report from the Surgeon General included practical recommendations to help families guide children's social media use. It recommended that families keep mealtimes and in-person gatherings free of devices to help build social bonds and promote conversation. It suggested creating a family media plan to set expectations for social media use, including boundaries around content and keeping personal information private. That's essential. Murphy also called on tech companies to enforce minimum age limits to create default settings for children with high safety and privacy standards. I have another article about that in a minute. Uh, in another article, use of the social media platforms uh, using things like likes, comments, and auto-scrolling was studied. They showed that prolonged engagement on social media often comes at the expense of others' activities critical for child's health, like sleep and socialization. So in other words, when your kid posts something, they get some likes, uh, they get a comment, they want to stay on, they stay on, and they stay on and miss out on sleep and playing outside and socializing with others. And then finally, this one was my favorite. 13 is too young. For the teen brain at that age, they have too much acceleration and not enough breaks. We know that I've covered the teen brain a lot. People now realize that 13 is too young for social media. I've been talking about wait till late for years. Little kids should have social media or smartphone before. I, this article is talking about maybe 16, and, and I would agree with that. I, it's just absurd. It, it's the most vulnerable time for child brain development is middle school. They are really vulnerable creatures during that time. And social media just destroys that. But then... One comment in the interview, they said, many parents are going to shake their heads. 16 seems utterly absurd, given how many 10-year-olds already have access to TikTok and Snapchat. And then this is what the Surgeon General is doing with his wife. To avoid their kids becoming isolated by being the only middle schoolers without social media, Murphy says they plan to partner with like-minded parents to keep kids off social media until high school. I would encourage other families to do it as well. So reach out to other parents, talk to them. Somebody's got to stop it because the companies aren't. And here's the joke of that one. Instagram and Facebook adding more parental controls. So this makes it even more challenging for the parent. Many of the features that Facebook and Instagram wants to impose require the mind and their parents to opt in, raising questions about how effective measures are. Instagram will now send a notice to teens after they block someone, encourage them to let their parents supervise their account. The idea is to grab kids' attention when they might be more open to parent guidance. If a teen helps in, the system will let parents set time limits, see who their kids follows or is followed by, and allows them to track how much time the minor spends on Instagram. It does not let parents see message content. Instagram launched parental supervision tools last year to help families navigate the platform and write, find resources and guides. A sticking point in the process that the kids need to sign up if they want their parents to supervise their account. Now, your kid's struggling with social media and really into it. 
How many of them are going to go, oh, I, I should do that. I'm going to opt for my mom and dad to see my stuff, but they won't see the content of my messages. I think that's good. I need that help. That is not how a teen brain works. They want freedom. They want, they're like wild horses. They want to run as fast and far as they can. So I'm like, that's a freaking joke. And any kid that probably does sign that up probably doesn't need it because the fact that they're choosing to get some extra help and guidance means they have some maturity and insight. Where the ones that need it the most don't. Well, yeah, that's this book that I've mentioned. I can't remember the title. One of these talked about, and he's sure, can we restrict the social media companies? Should the government pass laws? That, or, do, or do you monitor usage? You just don't let the, you know, like countries China or whatever, they don't allow social media at certain times, gaming after certain times because they had such a problem with their kids and gaming. So no one knows the answer to that. And it, it's Pandora's box. The box is open and we got to figure out how to reel it in. But it's probably not coming from the social media companies because that's how they make their money. They make their money by the more content they have, the more users they have, the longer the kid they stay on there, the more money they make. They're not going to restrict their business. Oh, okay. Now, this is the same lines. I just cracked up on this one. And I wrote, no kidding. Kids from no screen homes sometimes go screen crazy. So this one's about parents whose kids are monitored. They have limits on the screen time, social media use. But when they go on a sleepover or go on the play date at a friend's house, who doesn't have the same roles, they go crazy. And they're on it all the time. Duh. Kids have been doing that for eight ages. We used to do the same thing. I, my mom wouldn't allow me to see James Bondville. A little went over to David Vanice's house for a sleepover. We could go see a James Bond film. My mom didn't know, and we would pedal our bikes and go see a James Bond film. Then she was none the wiser. Sorry, Mom. I couldn't remember in sixth grade. Buddy of mine, his dad had a subscription to Playboy, and we knew where they were. Sixth, seventh grade boys, what do you think you're going to do? You get to go over that house a lot. I had another, another friend in high school whose dad had a full bar with beer on tap 24-7. And he, that dad never knew how much was in the keg because he was partying all the time. Who saw us? Do you think we all had it? That's what kids do. So don't be surprised if your parent is really monitoring these things. Don't be surprised if your kid lets loose when they're at somebody's house. Now, part of me says... Don't worry. That's what kids do. Maintain your own standards. They'll be fine. Uh, or you talk to the other uh, parents about, hey, could, could they help with that too? Now, a bigger question, this article addressed this, is what happens later? So if your kid's really into the social media, the gaming, electronics, what happens when they get old? So that's the question. So should we monitor it so that they don't get control later? Or she let them have the freedom and hope they don't go too far. Here's what they say. Games and social media apps were designed to be addictive. And parents often say their kids take every opportunity to binge regardless of the house rules. That doesn't mean children are all doomed, says the digital media research. It just means it requires some degree of parental guidance in making sure kids also get outside to play, get adequate sleep. There's the Surgeon General's idea. A University of Colorado study involving nearly 1,200 people ages 18 to 30 
found that parental restrictions on adolescent tech use had little bearing on participants' tech use in early adulthood. Participants whose parents set time limits or grew up with fewer devices spent only slightly less time with tech in young adulthood than those whose parents weren't too restricted, or no, that weren't as restricted. So, so they get older, right? So we're looking at adolescents, so teenagers who had some restriction, they get off to college, right? They're out of the house. Obviously, their use is going to increase. I think the key in this next one points this out. Well, there's two parts to this. Tech use in early adulthood research found is instead shaped by current life circumstances and peer tech use. Single young adults use tech more than married ones, for example. Uh, the pandemic obviously increased screen time because there was nothing else to do. So if your kids at home, they're not off to college, they're alone and working, they're not socializing, they're going to be spending a lot of time. And, and it's fun that I see a lot of young guys, young adult men, and they're, when they're single, they're spending a lot of time with the buddies, game or on the tech, right? Once they get the girlfriend, it drops. <laughs> Their usage drops because now there's something they enjoy more than that or the boyfriend, whatever. But yeah, so single people obviously are going to have more use. This other part I really like, they sound par parental limit setting did, however, inform participation's attitudes towards tech use making them more aware of the potential for addictions. The adults who had more restrictive environments growing up expressed more concern about tech use. So the good part there is while they maybe they're probably going to be doing more tech as they leave home, but they have the awareness of what can happen. So they're more aware of, I got to be careful, right? Now, one of the things that in the alcohol industry, it's long been thought, we should lower the drinking age to 18 and let parents, like a European model where kids can drink wine or beer at home before 18 and learn how to use alcohol appropriately versus the restriction to 21. This would say if you had more limits as a parent when your kid was at home, they at least know the dangers of what they're getting into. They've experienced some tech use, but know how far it could go. And I think you would apply that to alcohol as well or drugs. Uh, for kids who get out of control there, that maybe some usage, supervised usage by parents, that then that when they get off on their own, they're a little more aware of themselves. Uh, the only thing I would tell you when you look at the rates of alcoholism uh, for European countries and the U.S., it's pretty much the same. So long-term use of alcohol is still going to be pretty high, no matter what your approach. But at least help your kids be aware. So set your limits. And again, this is for the team. Guessing it's high school kids, middle schoolers are a different experience. Now, a couple of shows ago, this one is under no kidding. This will be brief. I talked about my two biggest fears for our children. One, obviously, social media, and the other is the access to guns. And this story was, it was titled American Youth, Mix of Bravado, Access to Guns Sparks Mass Shootings by Teens. And it basically covers 20 recent, just in this year, about 15 to 20 shootings uh, with guns where kids go in and shoot up a bunch of people. Just outrageous. Now, we've known forever that teens, especially teen males, have a lot of bravado. They think they're in, indestructible. They're the man. They're tough. They're ready to drop fist and go at it. Anytime you go to a CU football game, you can always count on a couple of fraternity guys duking it out. 
college you're leaving or they got into an argument with somebody. There's always something. So that's the nature of a team. They're very intense creatures. When you look at their nonverbal systems, I've talked about this before. When you show a picture of a neutral face to a kid or an adult and you say, how does that pe- person feel? They say nothing. They don't have any feelings. You ask a teenager and they say, they're angry. They're angry. They're mad. And they're very defensive creatures. But you take that historically evolutionary-based brain, and it was there for a purpose, which is to defend young people, defending our tribe, bowling off the enemy or wild animals, hunting, protecting us. And you give them a lot of guns, bad things are going to happen. And in this research, they found, according to the FBI, about 90% of homicides in 2019 by teens 15 to 17 involve firearms, up from 60% in 19. So the more guns we have, the more the kids shoot each other. Pathetic. And I've got a call from a mom whose child was shot. Just sucked. Fortunately, he survived it. But shot. Just brutal. And I just said, my prayers are for you and your kids, but, and you too. What a mother's worst nightmare to have your kids shot. Okay. Under the, this point, they just put really helicopter parents trail their children into the workplace. Story about parents who are getting involved in, in applica- filling out the applications for their kids, making the interviews, pretending to be the kid in an interview online or just by phone or contacting the human resources department about why their kid isn't getting paid more. The whole point of your teenager having a job is to figure out, one, how do you get one? How do you sell yourself? So give them some tips. We help give my daughter some tips for life. How to present yourself. What you should say about yourself, right? What she had to do an online one for Target. It was, it was an algorithm kind of program where it asked you customer service questions. And it was tricky. We all looked at it together and we're like, and we let her answer first. And we're like, yeah, I think that's the right answer. And she got the job, but she was leading the process. If she had a problem at work, she, or she had, what do you call that? She had like a probation period for a couple of things at Chick-fil-A. They're pretty strict. We, I didn't call the manager at Chick-fil-A and complain, why is my daughter getting this? Or you didn't treat her right. I'm like, honey, learn from her. And she did, and she got off probation and worked there for another six months. It's, the kid having a job is all about learning to be in the adult world and have some experience and learn from failure. It's not so that you can micromanage them so that they have success. But if your kid's showing up late every time from work, and it's going to help you call the manager, that's your kid's problem. And then you how to be on time. It's causing a break. It's just over the top. Too much. Micromanaging by the parents. Okay, now this last one, I told you, I promise you this would be the worst. And this is a really deep hole. Emotionally, and I, on a tech, I'm going to butcher this because I don't understand the technology. It's just really hard for me to wrap my head around. So I've always, I've spent a lot of time talking about TikTok. My daughter should want all sorts of stuff on that. I like my Instagram. It, it seems pretty, pretty normal and wholesome to me. But keep in mind, I'm only looking at my friends or Safari. That's the only reels I'm looking at. Maybe some sports ones, Michael Jordan. But that's about it. But the title of this one, Instagram links pedophile network. 
And I'm like, oh, my God. Okay, so I'm going to read some of this. And again, I don't really understand how it all works. But Instagram, the popular social media site owned by Meta Platforms, helps connect and promote a vast network of accounts openly devoted to the commission and purchase of underage sex content, according to investigations by the Wall Street Journal. Pedophiles have long used but unlike forums and file transfer services that cater to people who have interest in illicit content, Instagram doesn't really host these activities. Its algorithms promote them. Instagram connects pedophiles and guides them to content sellers via recommendation systems that excel at linking those who have shared niche interests. Well, that's pretty sick. Though out of sight for most on the platform, the sexualized accounts on Instagram are brazen about their interests. The researcher found that Instagram enabled people to search explicit hashtags such as pedo whore, like pedophile whore, and preteen sex, and connect to them to accounts that use the terms to advertise child sex material for sale. Such accounts often claim to be run by the children themselves and use overly sexual handles, incorporating words such as little slut for you. That is, that's after all. Now, you got to wonder there, they're saying these are actual kids doing this. I'm sure most of it's not. But, oh, there are some young teens out there that might think, maybe they're just doing it as a joke, that might think it'd be funny to, like, put one of those things on there and then trick somebody to come on there and look at them. Or maybe decide to sell it. I Then I don't know how you sell it. I don't get it. Uh, Instagram accounts offering to sell illicit sexual material generally don't publish it openly. In, instead of posting menus of content, certain accounts invite buyers to commission specific acts. Some menus include prices for videos of children harming themselves and imagery of minors performing sexual acts with animals. Okay. Just repulsive. There's a few more things I said, folks. And then I'm going to add on another one. Oh, God. Test accounts by researchers that viewed a single account in the network were immediately hit with suggested for you recommendations for perpetrated sexual content sellers and buyers, as well as counseling to all platform content training sites. Following just all these recommendations was enough to flood a test with content that sexualizes children. So that's that algorithm thing. So if I go looking for something on whatever, sex, drug, alcohol, cutting, suicide, I might get some law that's blocked or whatever, but it's probably going to show me something. And if I watch that, it's going to send me more. Well, my Instagram knows that I like safari animals, so I get a ton of crocodiles and elephants. That's what I like. It sends me more and more. Uh, well, that's also true for pedophiles. Meta's automated screening for existing child exploitation content can't detect new images or effort to advertise the same. Preventing detecting such an activity requires not just reviewing user reports, but tracking and disrupting pedophile networks, say current and former staff members. The goal is to make it difficult for such users to connect with each other, find content, and recruit victims. Such work is vital because law enforcement agencies lack the resources to investigate more than a tiny fraction. That means the platforms have 
responsibility to prevent our community from forming and normalizing child sex abuse. So basically, people put new stuff up, they can't track it fast enough. And so by the time Meta's trackers catching up to them, there's probably another 1,000 or 2,000 or 10,000 ones getting posted that they haven't caught yet. Twitter didn't respond to requests for comments. Tech and Snapchat also declined to comment. Oh, that's all we make sure we'll do when they declined to comment. Then just a couple last things. Pedophiles have their chosen hashtags too. Search terms such as pedobate and variation on MNSFW. Mine are not safe for work. They used to tag thousands of posts dedicated to advertising contact featuring children and easily be found by pirates and for it. Let's see. Madam says she assessed the account a collection of pro incest memes with more than 10,000 followers for only the few seconds that it took to report to Instagram, then trying to forget about it. But over the course of the next few days, she began hearing about horrified parents. We looked at her profile. She said they were being recommended incest toddlers as well as Adam's contact with the account. Uh, and the, the last one is, the last part on this one talked about how parents, people call in to complain, and it takes months for things to be removed. Now, having even another sicker twist to this, I heard a story on the BC yesterday about per pedophiles using AI, artificial intelligence, to make virtual children, uh, some of whom are based on real pictures of children that somebody took on a beat. So they make virtual children for pedophiles to use on virtual reality on a mainline platform. So these virtual reality platforms are hosting AI imagery of children having sex with you and doing whatever you want them to do in your virtual reality headset. I've never even done virtual reality either, but these mainline platforms are allowing sharing of these and selling of them on their platform. So people put some on the platform, pedophiles out there then purchase it from them or download it from them. They're like, really? Now, does anybody really think, okay, so I want you to know this. If you're a pedophile, you're obsessed with this idea of having sex with children. If you see images of it, you get aroused, okay? And you self-satiate. That's an easy way to say it. And then you want more pictures. And we know how the brain works with your You need more. And it needs to be even more graphic or even be different to get you excited like it. Now we can jump to virtual reality. And oh boy, that's all the new exciting thing that gets you really stimulated. You satiate yourself. Okay. But then guess where it goes next, people? They got to go somewhere after the virtual reality doesn't work. Anymore. And that's real children. And for some to think that, oh, oh they're just online. Well, if you're just artificial intelligence, there's no victim. Well, then it's not going to satiate a pedophile very long. They're going to want real children. That's what addicts do. And that's what pedophiles do. This just makes it even more tempting or more likely that someone could sexually abuse your child. It's just over the top.
always more twisted ways to take advantage of technology. One doesn't necessarily make me cry. Up to then, I, I would I cry now thinking about myself 35 years ago and what a fool I was as a therapist. But this goes out to a mom who taught me a very important lesson early on in my career. And I'm sharing it because I'm doing a podcast next. I'm being interviewed. I'm on the, I'm the head of the professional advisory board for a nonprofit here called Trauma Drama University. It's a parent support group whose kids have experienced trauma or have attachment disorders who are very difficult children to parent, really difficult. And one time I had this young man in my group and he was so charming with me and everybody was so pleasant to the other children and played well. And I was meeting with the parents, extolling his virtues. And I questioned whether he really had any trauma issues. And that mother looked me in the face and she said, you don't understand how manipulative trauma kids are at home when they have to trust other people. What he does here is just superficial. It's a mask. It's his way of coping in the world. But when he's at home, he is constantly lying and manipulating, and we get it all the time. I, she just put me in my place. I clearly didn't get it. I finally realized it a couple months later when I couldn't find my office keys. And I'm frantically searching for my office key after our group. Well, that young man had taken them and hidden them in one of my coffee cups. There you go. It was a few to me. <laughs> so I started to understand it. Now I understand it, understood it. So I began to understand it as a therapist. And then I understood it as a father uh, with our adopt, with our youngest daughter at, who was adopted and had attachment issues, trauma experiences. And man, did I learn firsthand about how difficult it is uh, when you're working uh, with children who have experienced trauma and, and attachment issues. So today I just want to say, I haven't seen that mom in years. She didn't come back after the group was over and I don't blame her because I was an idiot, but I want to thank her years later because she taught me a good lesson. And this would bring me to the point of those, this podcast of the new book. Don't shame too quickly other parents because you never know what they're dealing with. And their kid might be melted down in the grocery store. And you just want to think about that that's hard for that pair. And don't be too quick to judge because you don't know. Okay. Thanks for tuning in. And again, this one clipped in for several shows. We'll see. If you enjoyed it, please tell a friend. Uh, and again, just relax as a parent because you only need to be this side of good. Thanks for tuning in.